This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Melina. We are internet friends turned real life friends who both experienced the tragic loss of our sons to sudden infant death syndrome in winter of 2021. In the year after Aiden died, my husband and I both became unemployed, my parents divorced, and we had to move five times for various reasons. And as for me, just a few weeks before my son Quinn died, my then husband had come out to me as a transgender woman and were subsequently divorcing. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as we're living, we will love our sons deeply and work to make sure that we live a life that makes them proud. Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. We are just so grateful to have you here, Judith. Get yourself settled. Oh. <laughs> Hello. I know it's, it's like trying to figure out, do I turn it this way? Do I turn it that way? Do I get it? How I get it settled? It's all good. I feel like, okay, how's that? Excellent. Thanks. Excellent. I just heard your introduction of me. It was so beautiful. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Look, I, you know, we have not talked about SIDS yet here. Um, and I was supposed to have a baby. It's something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. And, but as you can imagine, and again, I, and I don't have any knowledge of this specific situation. I'm, and I'm grateful for that. But it's very difficult for people to want to talk about it, to talk about it publicly, which I know you're going to tell us a lot more about. But I really want to turn the floor over to you and just have you introduce yourself and just tell us your story. Um, I'm Judith Frankel. The I is silent. Ah, okay. See, I, that's, I, 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 you and I spent so much time. It was like a typo in Ellis Island, and then they just kept it. We're going to go with it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Frankel, I got it. Now. Add eyes. And I'm Aiden's mom. Uh, that's how I always introduce myself. I'm Aiden's mom. And my story, I think when we spoke earlier, I said my story is like really short. You know, I think typically in your world, getting to the baby at the end is the story. But for me, my story begins when Aiden's life begins, um, which was last December, December 2020. And um, and I lived like an extraordinary, ordinary life before that. You know, I went to, I went to Stern, I went to camps, like I got married when I was 22. I, we waited for my husband to be finished with graduate school. We started trying, we got pregnant. My pregnancy was textbook. My delivery was textbook. My baby was hitting all of his milestones. He was perfect. Um, and then one night on March 3rd, we put him to bed just like we always do on his back with nothing else in the pack and play, just very normal. And um, I woke up in the morning and I thought to myself like, oh my God, my baby is the most brilliant baby in the entire world because he slept through the whole night and it was only two and a half months. And I had the first full nights of sleep that I'd had in three months. I was exhausted. So I was so excited that he slept through the night and I went to go check on him. Um, and he looked a little funny and and he had, he died. He was dead. So, um, you know, the story is short. He went to bed alive, healthy, perfect. And he woke up and he was dead. And, um, after you lose a child, like the whole world kind of blows up and explodes into a million billion different pieces. And you're left with the task of rebuilding your life 
in a situation that just feels unimaginable. I think um, every parent, every parent, especially new parents and first time parents, go over to their baby when they're sleeping and put their hands on the stomach. They put their finger under the nose. They run back a million times. If the baby isn't squeaking, they're like, you know, and I was the same way. I did the same thing just like everyone else until one day um, I put my finger under his nose and, and he wasn't breathing. So I had to um, learn to live the unimaginable, I think. And that's kind of where my story begins. Okay, so first of all, I, I mean, you know, I, I've heard it before and I, I know that you've spoken about this before, but just, you know, hearing it again live here is just, I mean, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And I, I'm just, I'm just so sorry. Um, Thank you. Um, can you? It's not great. I say I, all the time, not great. <laughs> I wouldn't right, recommend right. it. <laughs> I, I think my guess is, is probably that's kind of like the most mild way you, you could say it, that it's not great. <laughs> Sometimes I say like zero out of five stars would not recommend. Don't do this. Try and keep your kids exactly. alive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, can you can you just take us through like th that that day? Take us through yeah. the, of you know you you walked in. Aiden wasn't breathing. Yeah. Wasn't breathing. And then and then what? And then I um and then I went to my bedroom and I said to my husband, I think, I think our baby is dead. And he bolted out of bed. I said it like, just like that, so calm. And he bolted out of bed. He said, why would you say such a horrible thing? And I said, I mean, I, th I think he is. And he, um, and my husband jumped out of bed. He ran over to the pack and play. I hadn't picked up Aiden at this point. I just knew, I just knew that he was dead. I mean, he was, I don't want to trigger anyone, but um, he was not alive. And so my husband, lifted him up. Um, we called 911. They talked us through CPR, um, which he was already gone. So was a waste. But um, and then the firefighters came, the police came. And I, I don't know how I would know this. But what happens is that you begin an investigation right there, because they're looking to see if there's any parents negligence or anything that would um, they're basically looking on behalf of the child to see if any wrongdoing has been done. And so we just waited outside. My parents came, the rabbi came, um, and we just waited outside. And I remember there were two things about that morning that just really stand out to me. The first is that I felt the floor on my feet and I felt that it was cold. And I thought to myself, in dreams, the feet you know, like the floor isn't cold. So this must be real because I can feel the, the tile on um, the ridges of my tile. And then that was the first thing that I um, just kind of replayed for me. The second thing was that I heard someone like screaming, crying. And I thought to myself like, oh, the baby needs me. I have to go. Um, but it was my mom. So I... That, that was difficult. Obviously, that was like the first time where I think it hit me that he was dead. Like, you're, as a mother, your child is an extension of your arm, you know? Like, I was with him every second of every day. And so I, I just, my heart said, oh, someone's crying. It must be my baby. I got to go. Um, but obviously, it wasn't. And um, so that was a couple of the things that I remember from that morning. And um, then we... 
had to, um, well, we didn't have to, but they offered for us to say goodbye one last time. Um, there was the coroner had come and they take the baby away. They actually take the baby away in a car seat, which I thought was so sensitive and thoughtful. Wow. Um, but my husband and I went in to say goodbye and we said Shema and my husband gave him a bracha and, um, and then we, then they took him away and we had to figure out where to go. And we left the apartment and never went back. We just moved into my parents' house. So, um, so that was that day. And then of course we told family and I don't, you know, the day is really clear to me up until a point, like when I got back to my parents' house, everything just gets really fuzzy. Um, but yeah, that was the day. Okay, can I, I I'm, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions, just you yeah. know, teasing out a couple of these pieces because some of the things that you mentioned are, I everything that I've learned and everything that you've taught me and other people have taught me who have gone through this, that the, these are pieces that, that so many people go through if God forbid their baby dies of SIDS. Yeah. So can we go back to the part where you know, the, the, the police department, the fire department had to come and investigate to see whether there was any foul play. And, and yeah. can you talk us also through this idea that, look, you know, SIDS prevention is yeah. a very, it is something that every parent is taught before they leave the hospital, the pediatricians, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, constantly are going over that to parents, you know, make sure that you have a flat surface, make sure the mattress is not too soft, yeah. make sure there's nothing else in the crib, make sure there's no bumpers, make sure the blank, like, you know, th there are a lot of these make sures. And yeah. so I'm guessing that there was, I mean, inappropriately, but th that there were a lot of questions that people had, you know, obviously from the authorities, yes, but then yeah. people had for you going forward. And then also that like, guilt of even though I know I didn't do anything wrong did I do something wrong and, yeah. and is there something like so can you just can you talk to us a little bit about some of those pieces sure um first of all it doesn't upset me to talk about so feel free to ask whatever you want and I want to invite if anyone else has any questions they should feel free to ask questions it doesn't upset me at all I think when it comes to this conversation it's very um the it's not as nuanced as it should and could be because doctors tell their patients, like you said, ABCs, you know, alone in the crib, on your back, um, a, a flat, hard surface. Um, and that does prevent one type of SIDS. But the reality is, is that SIDS is a variety of things. And um, many, I want to say like, majority of it 90 you know 95% of the cases cannot be prevented by that um that guidance it's like okay this is hold on let me like backtrack a second I'll go forward again yep when we talk like it used to be 50 100 years ago that people died of old age but old age is actually like 25 different things it could be you know breast cancer it could be heart disease it could be alzheimer's it could be a million different things Yep. But we just classified it as 
old age. And now with time and research and expertise, we've been able to piece apart that old age is really a bunch of things. Same thing with SIDS. SIDS is a bunch of things. So some of it has to do with heart arrhythmias. Some of it has to do with um, levels of serotonin. Some of it has to do with seizures that you can't see from the outside but are going on in the baby's brain. And then there's a big chunk of it, like 60%, that they just have no idea what it is. Um, and so that guidance of that pediatricians give is not really thorough. It's so oversimplified because they want parents to um, follow the rules that when it does happen to you and you do follow the rules, it's such a blind side because you say to yourself, I did everything right. I mean, I did, I did everything right. I know I did everything right. Um, and yet this horrible bad thing happened to me. And I'll add that people do ask a lot of questions. And I even am very careful to tell, when I tell the story, I say, you know, he was on his back, he was alone in the crib because- right. I our, noticed that, I noticed yeah, that. And I, 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 speak, presume, yeah. I presume that you do that purposely to preempt those questions because you don't want people asking. Because I know, I know every parent is asking themselves. I know every person out there that is pregnant, that has a baby right now, that, you know, thinks they want kids in the in future is thinking to themselves, oh my God, uh, this is scary. This is terrifying. What do I do? How do I, I'll just follow the rules. If I follow the rules, everything will be okay. And I hate being the person that says, no, you can follow all the rules and it won't be okay. Cause I also want to believe that you can follow the rules and be okay. And I think it's our natural inclination to want to protect our own hearts. And so we ask, you know, well, were they on their back? Were they alone? Because what we're really saying is, is there anything that I could, that I can do to prevent this? Like people ask those questions with the best of intentions, which, and their intention is, I want to prevent this from happening to me. Um, and there are a few things that I'll say about that. But first, what I'll say is um, that as the person receiving that information, receiving those questions, it seems completely irrelevant. And what if I had been putting my baby on my stomach? 40% of parents put their babies on their stomach. Isn't there compassion for the person who maybe did? No parent is perfect, you know? None of us can do everything right all the time. We all sometimes put the baby on the bed while we go brush our teeth. Like, we're not robots. And so where is our compassion for the people who did everything right normally, but one fluke time they didn't? Or maybe they made a risky decision and decided that they want to, you know, do it different or co-sleep with their, with their baby because that's what feels right to them. You know, I think they deserve compassion too. And Absolutely. and I think by asking that question, what you're really saying is this is too scary for me. I'm gonna have you hold all the feelings about this and I'm gonna tell myself that this could never happen to me. And the challenge with that is the grieving person feels so alone because who's gonna help me carry this tremendous weight if everybody says, you know, that's not gonna happen to me, that's not gonna happen to me. Um, I want to say that, and then I also want to put an asterisk that I know it's really scary, and I'm really sorry that my story is so scary. And I, I hate telling people because I hate scaring people. Like I, you know, it's I don't think it's fair to them. But no, look, I, I mean, <laughs> and I want to also be, you know, look, be sensitive to the fact that this is a space that. You know, it, it's 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 interesting that we're talking about this now because I thought about doing it beforehand and I didn't, and I probably should have. But that this is a space where we talk. You know, this most of the struggle that we talk about is the struggle to have a healthy baby in your arms. Now, the people who have been through loss know that getting pregnant is not the answer. 
because they still have to get through the entire pregnancy. For mm. people with infertility, it's just getting pregnant. For yeah. people with loss, it's making it to the end of the pregnancy and then having a healthy live baby in their arms. Yeah. And then you're here and you're saying, you know what, like, that's not in, a, in a tiny percentage of cases, that even isn't enough. Like yeah. life has no guarantees. And that yeah. is a very scary, yeah. petrifying thing to think about, but it is something that exists and we do have to talk about it. And that yeah. is why we are talking about it here. And I'll also say, um, I'll also say that I recognize this and like, I, I just, I want you to know that I feel that the line between life and death is so thin. It's two minutes. Sis happens in two minutes, but we all will experience loss. Every single person who is watching this or will watch this, someone in their life will die. And my story is really a story of grief. You know, I had an unexpected loss at a young age um, with a baby, which is the most innocent, perfect, precious creature. But the story of grief is really for everybody because we are all going to go through life and someone will die and we will be stuck with these difficult questions that I've had to face and we'll be stuck with the trauma of maybe being there or finding them or whatever. Um, so, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is like, no one gets off scot-free. Everybody, everybody's going to have to face the things that I had to face. They're just going to have to face them maybe later or maybe in a different circumstance or um, yeah. Grief and loss is the universal story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to um, go through some of the comments here. Someone was saying, um, oh, I don't please, even see them. No, 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 it's okay. I'm, I'm watching them, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. um, someone said, um, please don't apologize for your experience. Yes, I love that. Um, someone else said, even parents who don't do everything right think it couldn't happen to them when it happened to us, besides being so, despite being so safe. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. And I want to read this question because I think that this, this directly ties back into sort of the living environment. Yeah. The, so do you, someone, this woman named Kaylee is just asks, do you ever dwell on the living environment or your final moments with him, even though you know, you didn't do anything wrong? Oh my God, all the time. And especially in the beginning, it was like, I would think back on every single thing that happened that night. And I would ask myself, like, did I miss something? Did I miss something? What did I miss? And I had like a million theories. Like maybe there was something in the air or maybe he had flipped over and then flipped back again, even though he'd never rolled over. Or we have like a dog. And I thought to myself, well, maybe like the dog did something, even though obviously the, the dog did nothing. Um, and I asked myself that in the beginning all the time, but now I really accepted that this is just something that happens. And the more, one thing that brings me a lot of comfort is that I've spoken to a lot of Sid's parents now and the stories are just so similar. Like every, it just happens and it happens more frequently in boys. It happens more frequently between two and four months of age. It happens, there's like in winter months, like there's all these different factors. And I, my case was so textbook. And once you, when you see it just in the context of yourself, it's like, I miss and miss something. When you see it in the context of hundreds of babies that die um, of the same cause, you think to yourself, oh, this is just what it looks like. Um, one thing that I'll say, cause we haven't gotten there yet, but I feel like we might, which is like what it's like being from um, in the loss is that the, the night before he died, I had, it was kind of in a rush and I didn't say Shema. 
And then I thought to myself, like, as I was lying in bed on the phone, like, I remember exactly what I ate for dinner, who I was talking to, what I was talking to them about. And I was just like, oh, God, I got to go say Shema, you know, I got to make sure he's, you know, protected. And I went and I said Shema. Um, and then in the morning, I, like, I remember that so distinctly, saying Shema and being so careful that I said it. And then in the morning, I had to say it again when he died. And, um, and that has stayed with me maybe more than other parts because I have an alive baby now and I don't say Shema with her ever, never, not once. And my husband never says Shema with her, not once. Um, and we said it every night with Aiden because now to me, Shema is the final goodbye. Shema is the death, not the protection at night. So I just, I can't bring myself to say it. Um, can you, can you just, just for the people who don't know what Shema is, can you just give, give us a couple sentences of an explanation? Oh, God. 22 years of Jewish education, I feel like I'm going to screw this up. So, <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try to help you with my own limited Jewish education. All the tuition dollars that are going to be useless. <laughs> also, but, 20 some years. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to bumble through this together. <laughs> but we say Shema, we say Shema in the morning and at night as part of, uh, as part of our prayers, and it's um, just a I think it's like a final declaration that God exists and God is one and that we hear him, we see him, we feel him and we believe in him. Um, it's just a one line sentence. And traditionally you say it every night before bed and other times too, but traditionally every night before bed and especially with children and babies. And you know, it's like a big part of the bedtime routine. It's like, just like you would read a book to your baby before bed, you say Shema, you sing a song. Right. And, and then you I go just, to just, I'm interrupting for a second. It's a, it's a one line prayer. It's one line. It's a one line <laughs> prayer. Yeah. It's, it's a one, one line, line prayer. prayer. Yes. And I'll say that, okay, so you say it before you go to bed, but you also say it on your deathbed. Um, and um, it's kind of, all, it's like the final set, the prayer that someone says in their lifetime, if they're alive for it, or someone would say, um, you know, by their bedside. So we said it and for us it's like a shadow it's like an echo and so i can't i don't think i can say it with my children um maybe that'll change with time maybe it won't you know i don't i really try hard not to judge myself and i'm really not i really try to give myself so much grace when it comes to god and brachas and stuff like that and, and <laughs> as, as you should and as you should yeah yeah okay um so judith so so take us forward so so that was day one Take us, take us to day two, day three, week one, <laughs> month one. Take, take us, take us okay. through a little bit further on. Okay. Um, okay, I'll tell you something. So one, so in Jewish tradition, traditionally, um, everyone is buried as soon as possible. But it was the height of COVID, and so there was a delay, and so he couldn't be buried for five days actually, and the person that stays with the baby or with any dead person is called a shomer and they stay with the baby from when the autopsy is complete or the not autopsy from when the death occurs until burial. Um, so one thing that stands out so vividly to me is that there was such a prolonged period of time and the shomer can't leave. They have to stay by the bedside at all time. And so this guy was staying with Aiden for five days. He ate like tuna by his bedside for five days. Wow. And around maybe day two or three, you know, I, um, I asked if I could talk to him. I asked if I could get in touch with the showman because it was just being a really long time. And 
I was worried about my baby. Honestly, I was worried about my baby. I felt he was not in his peaceful spot. I felt like he was in, in between time. It was torture. And so I called the showmare and I, um, I asked him, I was like, will you please do me a favor? And I guess he had compassion on the situation. And he was like, what, what do you need? And I said, can you please sing songs with him? Because his favorite thing to do was like listen to music and he really was calmed by listening to music. And so I asked him like sing all the nursery rhymes. And I told him like in my house, you know, we sing if you're happy and you know it. But then I really wanted Aiden to know like the full diverse spectrum of feelings and we're not always happy. So I'd be like, if you're happy and you know it, if you're sad and you know it, this is how you feel. If you're angry and you know it, this is what you say. If you're scared, this is like, I would, it was like a 25 minute ordeal. And so I asked the showman, I said, will you please sing with him? all the nursery rhymes and then just like make sure you go through all the emotions because you know we want to make sure this kid is not going to be stuck in therapy forever um <laughs> and the guy and god bless him he was such a wonderful person he actually stayed for the funeral and he was like i want you to know i sang all the songs i knew and then i ran out of songs so i went on youtube and i just started playing like all the nursery rhymes wow. and he's like you know for five days we've been listening to nursery rhymes wow. <laughs> so i felt like that really helped me that just made me feel comforted that other people cared and you know also during this time there was this whole thing about the autopsy because in jewish tradition um autopsies are not recommended uh and so there were certain people around me and my family that were trying to push not to have an autopsy and i felt very strongly that i wanted an autopsy because i wanted verification that nothing was wrong and that i missed nothing um but there was this tension about should we should we not and i think that that was kind of a pattern that started that day but when you're someone who um, ascribes to living a, a from lifestyle, a religious lifestyle, yeah. a religious lifestyle, it's like there's the rules, and then there's the rules how they apply in your life, and those are two separate things. Totally. It's like idealistically, sure, great, we don't believe in autopsies. When it's your baby and nothing was wrong two hours before, all of a sudden, there's like a real tension about what you want um and i think what is a common theme is that i really had to to allow myself the grace to take that voice of what halacha what jewish law says and um quiet a bit and then give my voice a little more space um and so ultimately it didn't matter what i wanted and it didn't matter what the rabbi wanted because the city of los angeles has a law that if it's an infant there has to be an autopsy to rule out any foul play and, um, and I feel honestly really grateful. I know different parents feel different ways about this, but I feel really grateful that that is the rule because um, I wasn't really in a space to make a decision and no one in my family was in a space to make a decision. And so it was kind of nice that someone else made that decision for me. And I think the same thing when it comes to being buried, I have a lot of friends who are Sid's parents that are that cremate their children. And the reason they cremate them is because a lot of times we're talking about young families with young babies and they're not in a final spot. You know, my baby is buried in Los Angeles. I live in Maryland now. Um, so we're transient, but it was really nice that Halakha had, I mean, Jewish law had it already laid out for me that I should bury my child and it should be in a specific, you know, burial plot in a specific place. and. That just made it a little easier. And I think this whole, the whole thing about Shiva, I think in the immediate aftermath, Judaism is really good because there's a structure um, and there's people know what to say. They know what to do. There's like routine to it. It all falls apart the week after Shiva. That's what I'll say. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, and I, I want to just go back just for a second and say just to the listeners in general yeah. that there are everything that you said is a thousand percent correct in that generally speaking, when a, you know, a person dies who is over 30 days, the there are rules about there are yeah. rules in Jewish law about when you're supposed to be buried. There are rules about the timing. How you're supposed to be buried. Correct. When and how and autopsies and all of these things, there are rules. And and yet, you know, obviously, you know, the, the law of the land, you know, city of Los Angeles takes yeah. precedence over what Jewish law holds. And, yeah. you know, no, no matter what, you know, any rabbi said, but there there is room in 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 many of these circumstances. And I, I've spoken to a number of parents, unfortunately, that have had similar situations or have had other children unfortunately die for various reasons in that first year or a couple of years, you know, this, these, these are pieces that are deeply personal and yeah. everyone interprets, people interpret the law differently depending on their own yeah. scenarios. And it's also good to go to your own rabbi or clergy to help yeah. work out these pieces. And I did. Yeah. I'll add, I did. I spoke to a rabbi and I said, everyone's telling me I shouldn't have an autopsy, but I really want this autopsy. Um, and it was like, I went to this rabbi time after time again, and the response that I got was have compassion for yourself. You know, you are in extenuating circumstances, you know, listen to what your heart needs. Listen, there's gray space for these type of cases and you need to listen to yourself too. And I have to say, I will be eternally grateful for the guidance that I got because I had never really received such an understanding and compassionate perspective. And I was so grateful that that was in place because I really needed it. You know, I was beyond normal circumstances. I was living in the unimaginable. And when you're living in the unimaginable, it feels like no rules should apply. So I thought that was really helpful. A thousand percent. I, I just want to just for a second, go back. There's a comment here that came in. I'm um, just said, she's not asking a question, but she just wanted to tell Judith that it's wonderful that you respected your son's emotions and really wanted to hold them. So. <laughs> yes. Well, turns out he didn't need therapy. <laughs> right. So we, we have, good. <laughs> right. We have to laugh about it. And, and now since we're, we're, you know, we're talking about Judaism and we're talking about, you know, different yeah. facets of religion, there was a question that came in before him that said, has your faith helped you with coping? Has it hurt? I, I, is there any way that, I mean, you've spoken about some pieces of this already, but has, you know, ha, has religion helped you? Has it prevented you from moving on? We haven't touched grief yet. We're going to get there, yeah. I promise. But, um, you know, what yeah. can you tell us in terms of like, you know, Judaism clearly like, you know, in the burial process, in the Shiva process, like we do that well. Yeah. But, but what about the <laughs> aftermath? There are lots of parts that we could improve upon. I'll say that. And I think that there's a reason for it, actually. Um, I think when a lot of the guidance was being created, child loss was really common. Many babies died. And so I think the way that people coped with that is different now than it was, you know, when the rules were all being created and devised. And so what I have discovered is that most I discovered there's very little space for infant loss or stillbirth or child loss in general in the Jewish realm. Um, and that's not a question on my faith. I'll answer my faith in a second. But when it comes to, I'll give you just a few examples. I think we're really good at incorporating uh, the loss of parents in our faith. I think 
part of being called up to the Torah or when you get a Mishaberach after an Aliyah, you say, you know, son or daughter of this parent. So we're really good at recognizing that parents existed. And even after those lost, there's so much space to include them in our everyday life. Um, another thing is during Yisker. Yisker specifically is for people who've lost parents. You can say it, you know, if you've lost children, but it's specifically for parents. So I think we do a really good job at making sure that some loved ones are seen and included, but not babies. And what the first time actually that I encountered this is when my father was called up for an aliyah um, ar around Pesach time. And is he got the after, after, oh, sorry. After Aiden died. Yeah, Aiden did, died in March. So it was in April. So he was called up to the Torah. He was given. And then afterwards, there's a blessing that they gave. And part of the blessing, you cite all the names of people in your family so that they should be blessed too. And everybody was included except for Aiden. He didn't get a bracha. And that was such a punch in my gut because I still see him. He lives with me. And it was so painful that no one else acknowledged him. And then there are also things like um, at Rosh Hashanah time. So one of the shofar blasts is that last one, like Shrua, I think it's called, where there's like nine short blasts. Yep. And, they, and they say it's supposed to be evocative of a mother's cries. And when you yourself is the mother who's been crying and you hear the sobs of yourself, and then you go into shul, and it's over and over and over and over again. You hear that noise, and you know what it sounds like coming from your gut. It's so difficult. It's just unimaginably painful. Um, so I'll say those are some things that I've really had to wrestle with. On the other hand, there are some spaces where I've kind of created my own path. So we light a can I light a candle for Aiden on Friday night. And actually a few other people, my sister and my friends also light a, a candle for him. My mother lights a candle for him. We continue that. Um, my husband gives him a bracha. Um, and then when I go to the mikvah, I have created my own tradition where I, um, I dip for every one dip for every person in my family, which is made up I don't you know I don't that's not the rule but I just make it up because no one you know there's not a lot of space for me to include him so I I'll you know do a dip for myself and say a little prayer for myself for my husband and then I'll have a prayer for Aiden and I'll talk to him and I'll tell him some of the things that I miss about him or I'll ask him and then for my daughter as well and there are some spaces for me to include him but in a whole he's really not um, see, and I'll add one other thing that's more complicated about infant loss is that when a child dies that's older or an adult dies, there are, are many people in the community who know them, who love them, who care about them, and they can help hold their memory. They can help um, bring him into their everyday lives. But when it's a baby, you know, he didn't really leave the house that much. The only person that he knew was me and my immediate family. And so it's a huge responsibility and weight on my shoulders to continue his legacy, to remember him, to remind people to remember them. And it would, and I feel like that is something where religion could help. And yet, you know, there's this empty space for babies and young children um, where it's not done. Did that answer your question or did you want me to talk about my faith in them? 
No, that, okay. that, that, that was perfect. That was perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, I'm just kind of taking it all in and it's, um, it's a lot. You're, you're a thousand percent right that, that we do a very good job sort of in the adult loss and, and in yes. child loss and especially infant loss. Cause it's exactly as you just said, you know, it's, um, yeah, we are. We and are I know much people laughing. who've had stillbirths. If you had a baby that was less than thirty days old, right. it's even more painful. Correct. Correct. So there's right. a gap. Definitely. You know. Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. So so let's now shift gears, and I I want to talk about the grief, and and I also want to talk about the, you know, life going forward. You know, there. Are, Aiden will always be a part of your family, is always going to be a part of your family. And you, I, I love the way you incorporated these different pieces wherever you could to try to weave, weave him in that you, you have done that. But talk to us about the grief. I mean, you know, grief, grief we know because we, we as a community talk about that a lot. We talk about the, like the ebbs and flows of grief and, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, two steps back. You know, this idea that it's just, it feels so crushing and overwhelming. But for parents who have had pregnancy loss or stillbirth, they didn't take home their babies. Yeah. And you, and I know your partner, the person who you run your podcast with, Alina, am I pronouncing her name correctly? Yeah. You know, the two of you and the entire, you know, community of the SIDS community and the infant loss community, you had your baby, you have pictures of your baby, you have, I'm sure, videos of your baby, you have yeah. memories with your baby, you have his clothes, you have all the things, I'm sure you maybe even had things that you were hoping he was gonna grow into or yeah. bouncy seats or other things that, like high chairs that he never got a chance to yeah. use. How, how, how do you deal with all of that? How did you deal with all of that? Um. That's a really good question. Uh, I think bit by bit, second by second, hour by hour, the thing about grief is it's this back, it's like a black hole that it, 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 it touches every part of your life. There is not one part of my life that has not been touched by this loss. I mean, my physical health, my mental health, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my job, where I live, how I live, literally everything and so it's hard it takes a long time to marry the new reality that you live with um, and yourself and I feel like the reason I, I feel like it's a long 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 process that I'm still kind of going through um, but it takes a team and it's really heavy. And so it helps to have someone to carry it with you. Someone to say, I'm gonna take a piece of that. I think even small things, like I have friends that have a picture of Aiden on their refrigerator. Wow. You know, that's a little bit less that I have to hold because I know that person's gonna remember him because he's on the refrigerator. Wow. Um, uh, there's like things like that. Like I became really good friends with the baby next to Aiden who died and his mom and I don't live what, near what do you, him. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? The baby next oh, to Oh, sorry, uh, babies, a children's section of the cemetery. Okay. And so there was a baby that um, died in May, Aiden died in March and she and I, his mom and Aiden 
like we think they're friends. I think they're friends. And so we've become really good friends too. And so she helps me because she goes to the cemetery and she'll video chat with me. So like I can have a piece of that. Um, So that means that it's not, you know, the burden for me to see him isn't so much for me to carry. Um, So it helps have people lighten the load by witnessing it, by validating it. I'll explain to you just kind of what it feels like in a second. It feels like you have an imaginary friend that only you can see, and you're constantly trying to convince everyone else in the entire world that the imaginary friend is real. So I see him at the dinner table. I see him in my house. I see him at the playground. I see him in the, you know, all of these things. And I feel like I have to fight for him to be seen by everyone else in the world because he's invisible. And so part of grief is like how to live with an imaginary best friend that no one can see but you. Um, and so that's why it helps to have a team because the more people that see him and feel him and the more people that in, use his presence to either encourage them you know, to live a different life or the more that he impacts other people's lives, um, the more I feel like he's seen and by default, I feel like my grief is seen and, by, and so I feel like more of a complete person in this world. Does that make any sense? I, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm, you know, what I'm thinking, frankly, is just the comparison between, you know, grief is grief is grief is grief. We all know that. Yeah. And, and people have grief over lots of different things, loss of a job, loss of a spouse. Yeah. Like it, it could be a thousand things. But the distinct difference between, I, I, I think, between pregnancy loss or it, pregnancy loss, miscarriage, pregnancy loss, versus here, SIDS, infant loss, is that often there is more of, because when a pregnancy, when there there's a pregnancy that's lost and that baby has not been born, so therefore it's other people didn't know the baby. Other right. people didn't get a chance to spend time with the baby. Other people didn't love the baby. Like I hear this often so much from mothers that even there's a disconnect between the mother and, and the father and the partner there because the mother was the one that was living with that baby inside of her the entire time and the partner and the spouse and how much more so the all the other people around, they don't feel that same connection. The difference that I'm hearing from you is that because yes, you know, obviously he wasn't out and, you know, going lots of places yeah. and, and the whole community, but that there were other people that knew him and can validate and legitimize his life for you and give yeah. you that, give you that a little bit of that strength that, that yeah. I'm hearing is as a very distinct difference. Yes, I think that's true. And the one thing that I'll say, there's a lot of similarities, but I think one of the similarities is that we, even in their passing, there's a, the parent, the mother-child relationship is so strong that the relationship has to continue on. I have to feed this love that I have for him. And the love that I have for my son, Aiden, is not the same love that I have for my husband or for my daughter or for other people in the world. It's just Aiden-shaped. And I have to do something with that Aiden-shaped love. And so I have to interact with him, but I also have to interact with the world and, and I have to spread that love Um, And other people have to see it and feel it just like you would if you had an alive baby. Like you have to fuel the relationship. My relationship with my son continues on even though he's not here. And I just have to find other ways to continue on that relationship even in his loss. 
And that's ultimately what grief is. It's like finding a way to continue the relationship, to relate to other parts in your world with the loss and with him included. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Do you, um, you know, so knowing, uh, you've mentioned a few times already, you've mentioned your daughter. So, yeah. you know, when, when did you, you know, so, so much of the grief and so much of the, the, the experience of someone who has lost a child, whether it's, you know, pregnancy or infant loss or any other point is the, what if it happens again? And yeah. how can I possibly go through another pregnancy and feel calm about it? Because I know that what can happen on the other yeah. side. And for you, it wasn't even the pregnancy because the, your pregnancy yeah. with Aiden was perfect. It was mm -hmm. the what happens at, you know, X number of months, like, you know, how do I know that this is not going to happen again? So how did you get to a space? And when did you get to a space where you were even ready to entertain getting pregnant again? The minute he died, like that morning, I said to my husband, I was like, are we ever going to, you know, be okay again? Like, am I ever going to be happy again? Um, and he said, like, absolutely, we are going to continue. We are going to find happiness and joy again. And I went to take my birth control out the day after Aiden's funeral because I wanted a baby in my arms. Like there's a biological need to have a baby in your arms. I don't know if that was the best idea I've ever had. In fact, it probably wasn't because I, it was, the pregnancy was horrific. I mean, it was really bad because once you enter this space of loss, you see a million ways that a baby can die. And it's so scary. It's like, okay, I have to worry about SIDS, but now I have to worry about stillbirth and I have to worry about early miscarriage, late miscarriage. I have to worry about my baby eating a battery. I just saw the story the other day. Like you, you, like, you realize that bad things happen and it's impossible to get that naivete back. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I do it well. Like I wouldn't say I do do it well and I wouldn't say it, but I will say that um, I do it. I get through every day. I like to say like my daughter is like half robot because she's like monitored so heavily. Cause she's like got all these machines hooked up to her, but that's what I need to get through the day. So that's what I do. You know, like I talk about this a lot of my, with my therapist that um, there are things that you do that aren't unhealthy. Maybe they are feeding to your anxieties, but they're not unhealthy. And so you just have to do that because I, that's the only way that I can get by. So that's what I, that's what I do. I don't feel safe. And I don't know if I will ever feel that safety and security ever again. Um, but I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I am happy and very sad, but also happy. I am happy and sad all the time. And I want to feel, I want a family. I want a fullness in my heart. And so I have to move forward. It's like part of the reason I started the podcast is because I could see myself at point A and I knew out there somewhere there was a point B, which was happiness and joy again. And I just like could not figure out for the life of me how I got from point A to point B. And so we started the podcast when I was in the absolute beginning throes of grief because I wanted that roadmap to be there for the next person who says like, I'm at the bottom of a hole. Like I'm at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. How do I get out? And the right. only way to get out is to see other people do it and to have people who show you the way. And that's ultimately what helped me. I saw, I'll never forget, there was this woman who showed up at my, at my Shiva house. Her daughter, her son had died of SIDS seven years before. And she told me she had 
twins like a few years after her son died and i went to las vegas where she lives and i spent the day with her and i watched her like i wow. i had to see that she had living breathing children and i had to see the way she parented them because i didn't believe it i couldn't imagine it but once you see someone else do it then you feel like okay i can do it too there's a way there's a way for me to be happy again there's a way for me to find joy there's a way for me to have a family and to live a sense of normalcy and that's ultimately the way you get out of it by following in the footsteps of the people who got there before totally totally i there, there's so much of that there there's so much truth in everything that you just said it's it's that's why community is so important yeah. in these stories it's that because when you're living in your own bubble and you're thinking like there's no one else that has ever possibly felt as horrible as me there's no one else who possibly could begin to understand anything yeah. about what i'm going through and then when you finally realize that it is not you alone on that island that it really is that that yes like obviously every story is unique and every story has pieces of it that are totally yours and and not that don't belong to anyone else but right. that there is so much commonality in in pain and that so many people have gone through things and the power is in community the sense yeah. of, of of feeling like you are not just drifting out there that you actually yeah. belong to something yes and also part of grief is that it's so disorienting i mean you have to understand like i remember going to a book i haven't been able to read a book since he died and i used to read two books every shabbos like i'm a huge reader and i can't read a book i can't i had like still, a hard time spending time still. with people still still i cannot read a book i'm listening to a book on an audiobook now and i have to stop it every 10 minutes because i get i can't i just can't process information like I used to. Um, like in the beginning, I'm a, I love spending time with friends. I'm a very social person, but I would get exhausted from small talk. And I still get exhausted from small talk. And I used to do small talk for my job. Um, it's like these things, I, like, I'm perpetually exhausted. My hair turned gray. My hair started falling out, actually. Like all these little things that you think that you're the only person on the planet that's they're going through it and you're like wait a minute you can't read a book either that's normal i'm normal that means that if you couldn't read a book and now you can read a book that means i can read a book right one day and i'm not there yet but hopefully one day i'll read a book again right, right. or i won't I, I yeah so so much look there, there is yes there there is tremendous tremendous power in that tremendous power um I want to hear before we end here, and I want to be mindful of time. I want to hear just a little bit more about Alina, how you met her, more a little oh. bit more about the podcast, so that people can learn more about it and can listen. Yeah. What, what what can they expect when they're getting on their podcast? What kind of stories? What kind of people are you interviewing? Tell tell me a little bit more about that. I see Alina watching, so I just I want to say hi. She's uh, she's my other half in grief. I you know. Um, like I said, grief takes a team. And if you're lucky and fortunate as I have been, you find a partner. And the partner is so important because your husband, my husband, is not experiencing the same thing that I am at all. And so I have found that I need to turn other directions for support. First of all, he's not experiencing the same thing that I am. Second of all, he doesn't have the emotional capability because he also lost his son to help support me. And so I needed someone who got it, who understood what I was going through, that when I was crying on the floor, they could call me and sit with me on the floor. And when she's throwing up in the bathroom because she's been crying for so long, I can sit with her on the phone too. Like you need somebody to do it with you because it's so much. And I'm lucky that I found her. 
And I found her on the internet. I found right, her on Reddit. I was Reddit. just going to ask someone, someone's asking yeah. you, how did you find your community? How especially I found her on person. Yeah. Yeah, I found her on Reddit. Uh, she could have been a murderer. Um, <laughs> but she, so far she hasn't. Um, one. Excellent. So, Alina, um, with those knives that you're sharper, sharpening in your you know, yeah. backyard. Type, well, I, I saw her comments on like a SIDS Reddit group because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know there was a grief Instagram when Aiden died or else I would have gone there first. So I didn't know where to go. So I was like looking on Reddit for other SIDS parents. Um, and I reached out to her because it was something that she had said that just kind of struck a chord with me. And, um, and I said, I just, you know, messaged her and said, I lost my son in March. She said she had lost her son in January. And then we set up a Zoom, which was like very formal of us. And I, at the end of that conversation, I said, I'm coming to see you. Like, let's go away for the weekend. And we went to a cabin that had no cell service and no Wi-Fi, like in the middle of the woods. And, um, and I still made it out alive. And uh, <laughs> Alina, Alina lost her, her son, Quinn, to SIDS. Um, in the very similar circumstances, the same thing at night, three months old, three months and 27 days old. Um, and we started this podcast because so many people said they were lonely. Well, I think, first of all, we wanted to document the story. But also, like I said, we wanted to leave a roadmap for other people to see how to get the whole. And, and I think also it's hard to find a friend in grief. And so we thought we could be a, we could be your friend. You know, we could talk about the same things that you want to talk about. So um We've done things specifically on SIDS, but also we've spoken to a grief therapist. Um, we also, like I said, are documenting our stories. So, you know, we went through, for example, one thing we did was um, before, right before I had my daughter, Alina and I sat down and we had a conversation about how is this going to feel for her? Because she is not married right now. How is it? And so she's not trying to get pregnant. And I said, well, how is it going to feel for you to watch me have a, an alive baby? Right. And let's talk through some of the things that are going to be really difficult for you so i can try to be sensitive to that and why don't you share with me some of the things that you want to see or don't want to see one thing i asked her do you want to see pictures yes or no um do you want me to tell you when i'm in labor will that be difficult for you but kind of talking through every step so we could be prepared and i think that these are a lot of conversations that people should could maybe having totally when let's say your best friend is going through infertility and you're pregnant like have a plan in place. Talk about it. Because if you don't, it just breeds resentment. So that's one thing we did. Another thing we spoke about is pictures. Um, one topic that we didn't expect but really was um, full of conversation was what do you do on your about your film background? You know, do you keep what do you do about your baby? Your, say, say that again. Phone background? Like your phone, phone background, background and your lock screen. Yep. Do you include do you have a picture of your baby as your phone background? Is that too painful for you? Um, so we really look at it from all the things that we're struggling with. What do we do with their stuff? And then that part, and then also the day-to-day -day life. You know, I spoke about trying to get pregnant again and what it was like to go through the anatomy scan. And um, my daughter got all different. I had to decide after she was born to what extent would I get her tested? Because there's not really anything to test for with SIDS, but I'm an anxious, paranoid person. And so I wanted to get tested. So we kind of talked through both those things. Um, what people can expect, what people are going through, and also, you know, part of our story from the floor, from the bottom to like, we say, we're not going to get happily ever after. We're not getting that textbook story. That is not our story. We will never have a complete family on this earth, but we could get to happier, happier ever after. And so that's where we're heading. We just want to be happier. And so we wanted to document the story from um, that point to happier ever after.
And I would say like, I'm in the middle, middle section. Maybe. I'm like in the midpoint, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Look, you know what? I, I, as we all know, grief is, um, it's a work in progress. Not linear. Right. Yeah. It's a work in progress. And then there are some things like you think I've done a year, I'm done because that's what I was told by the world. But it's like, no, a year is just step one. I've got a lifetime to go. And the only difference is that everyone else has kind of moved on with their everyday life. Right. And I'm still stuck in mine right. for now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so to close us out here, um, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, there, there was a comment here that came in that just said, um, there's another woman who said, you know, grief turns readers into zombie people that she also hasn't been able to get through a book. So yeah, totally, totally. Um, to close us out here, what advice would you give to, you know, look, we know the people who are going through infant loss or going through SIDS, they are, t it, it is, thank God, is it a tiny percentage of the, yeah. um, you know, the, the, I, I would say in general, the, oops, I thought that was going to fall for a second and it didn't. Okay, we're good. Um, it is a tiny percentage of the pain that can happen in this area of life and the struggle to have a family, the struggle to get pregnant, yeah. this in general struggle to build your family, let's call it. Um, but grief and, and mourning and trying to put this in a place in your life is something that's very common and is something that so many people go through. Yeah. What, what is your advice to people who are dealing with this crushing grief, crushing disappointment, and are just not sure how they're going to get through another day? How did you do it? What advice do you give to other people? Okay, I'll say, first of all, I'll answer that question. And then I'll also say, what can you do if you're supporting someone who's in the midst of grief? Perfect. Perfect. Um, so I'll start with that. I'll start with the second question that I asked myself first, and then I'll go to the question you actually asked me. So what can you say if you're supporting someone who's in the throes of grief? Uh, there are two things. The first thing I would say is that um, don't try and fix it because there's nothing that can be fixed. My son is dead. You can't bring him back. So there's nothing to fix. All you can do is sit with me in the sadness and say these three magic things. This is at some point with my family, I wrote it out for them because they just, they didn't know what to do. And I'm writing right I, now. So okay. the first thing to say is, well, this is, this one's only applicable if it's true, but I love you. I love you. The second one is I care. And the third one is I'm not going anywhere over and over and over again. I love you. I care. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you through until you tell me not to be, I'm not going anywhere because I think the person who's grieving feels that this is going to be permanent and this is going to change everything forever. And we will never feel joy again. And so we think, well, you're going to leave me and I'm going to be alone. And then I have to do this all by myself. So reassure them over and over and over again that you're there for them, that you care, and that you're not going to leave and that you love them. Right. And, and then and, all and, and the, and I would say the, the extra added piece of that you're not going anywhere is that because society dictates you know, how yeah. long you're supposed to grieve for. And so yeah. the worry is, is that if you've gone beyond that time, then people are yeah. just going to disappear. Or, or like, let's say, you know, let's say you have a loss and then you have a, an alive child after, you know, I think people think I'm all better now. I will never be all better. Never. I will always want to talk about my son and I will always need love and support and people to tell me that they're there for me because 
this is a forever thing. Um, so that's the first thing. And then also say, I, there's this analogy that um, is such a vivid analogy in my head, which is when you're in the bottom of the hole and people are looking at you from the top of the hole and saying like, uh, I'm here if you want to talk. Um, I'll, whatever you need, just reach out. You're at the bottom of the hole. Like, you're like, how do I get out of here? And they're like, oh, here's my kugel. Like, it's helpful. Right. Right. But, I'm, I'm like dangling but, it in front of right, right. <laughs> The only thing that you can say that's really helpful is say, I'm sitting right here at the edge of the hole. And I'm going to be with you in the edge of the hole. And it doesn't matter how horrible and how long you're down there. I'm not going to try and fix it. I'm just going to sit with you. And you won't be alone in it. So that's, that's what I'll say, you know, to support. To the person who's going through the grief, I would say, uh, I got this from Megan Devine because she is the Oprah oh, of Ruben. She's amazing. And she says, this is as horrific, as unimaginable, as painful, as terrible as you think and feel it is. And for some reason, I think that feels really good when you're the person who's going through it to hear this is as bad and awful as I feel it is. And I, um, and I, and the reason, yeah, I, it, it feels comforting and validating. And what I like to tell myself is my life is so hard because my baby died. That is the ultimate tragedy in the world that, that this, um, this piece of you will always be gone. And so when I'm like sitting there crying in the parking lot in Trader Joe's, on the day of my Simpapat, my daughter Simpapat, like I was sobbing in the Trader Joe's parking lot. I was like, it's been 15 months. Why am I still sobbing? It's because my baby died. Because my life is a horrible tragedy. And I can still have joyous days, but I will also be feeling that tragedy. And I remind myself over and over and over again, that doesn't matter how long it's been, doesn't matter the other good things that are in my life, it's okay for it to be horrible forever, because it will be, because my baby died. And I don't know, I, it's saying some people are hurting that. So maybe that resonates with other people too. De definitely. And, and I know that, you know, just thinking about the support group that I was running last night where it was a pregnancy loss support group, but you know, one of the women came in and she just said, you know, it's been, she, she, she had a, um, a 12 week loss and it had been seven weeks. And she said, you know, I, I just feel like I'm still really sad. And everyone else seems to be like, you know, you should move on. And like, why are you still grieving? But I'm still feeling really sad. And I'm not sure if that's normal. And what we, you know, the, the other people, myself and the other people in the group kept trying to say to her and reassure her is that this is normal. This is grief. This is grief. Yeah. There is no time limit on it. This is grief. And it's bad. Right. It's bad. You know, I feel like I, um, I feel like I, in the beginning, you're so unused to, you're not used to feeling so horrible. And so you're like, why this is like horrific. This is so bad. Um, but with time, you learn to carry that load better. And it's not that the load gets lighter. It's just, you get better at managing it. Right. And I think sometimes you're going to drop that load because it's 10,000 pounds. And sometimes it's going to feel like crushing weight on your shoulders. Right. And sometimes it's going to feel light. And sometimes it's going to feel like I'm kicking butt at this grief thing. 
you know, but the weight is always going to be there. And that's, that's just part of life. That's my story. My someone I go to um, says to me, everyone will come to their knees at some point. Everyone, everyone's going to have it. We're all going to know that feeling of sadness. We're all going to know that feeling of loss. And we're all, we're all going to experience it. But I think what, um, what is helpful for me to remember is that other people live with it too. And they live fulfilling, long, happy lives. Yeah. And I'm not going to let go of that belief. Like I'm going to hold on with dear life that things can be good again. And I'm just going to take it day by day, hour by hour, inch by inch until I get there. And right. I bet when I get there, I'm going to be like, I've got more, but you know. <laughs> I, I, look, I, and, and that's, that's why I wanted to bring you here because you are a person who has lived your own version of hell and you are still here and you are talking about it and it is not going away, but you are moving on and you are moving through it while keeping your son very much a part of your life. Yeah. And, and that is the essence of what grief is, is keeping all of the pieces together and honoring your son and honoring the person that you loved, but trying to make space for grief and make space for happiness. And, and that's, that's it. And I- and That's my story. You nailed it. I, <laughs> I, I don't know about nailed it, but I've, I've you know, I, I've had my own personal experiences, not with this, but with other kinds of grief. And um, it sucks. It just, it just sucks. sucks. It just it's sucks. It's just so hard. It's and so bad. It's so bad. It's just so bad. And you just yeah. try your best. You just try your and best. And you just live with it. Right. Right. You just live with it. Right. Judith, thank you so, so much for thank sharing you. so openly, for being real and raw and just giving people just the unvarnished truth of what this is and, mm -hmm. and really giving everybody also these incredible tools as to how to support and, and how to help yourself. I tell people where to find you about the podcast. Oh, well, um, the podcast is called As Long As I'm Living. The inscription on my son's grave is from that book by Robert Munch, the, um, the one about the mom and the baby rocking her uh, baby to sleep. And um, it, the line is, as long as my, I'm living, my baby will be. And I feel that way so strongly. As long as I'm living, my son will be my son. And as long as I'm living, I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep uh, walking towards that goal of happiness. And um, we're also on Instagram. But I just want to say one other thing, which is that it is possible that someone who's listening to this live will know someone who loses a child to SIDS at some point in their life. And they're not going to know what to do or what to say to that person. And um, that person might need support. And I just want to open my heart and my inbox to anybody who, when that horrible, horrible day comes and that horrible call comes, please um, give me the pleasure of giving back what others have given. Give me the ability to give back because there is nothing that I want to do more than to show up for those who have experienced this loss. So don't be shy when that horrible, horrible day comes. Um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you, whoever you are. I'm going to help you. Incredible. Incredible. Judith, thank you so, so much for all of this. Thank you. We are so grateful. We are so grateful. Thank you so much. And if anyone has any questions, I'm really open to talk about it. So please don't be shy. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you again. Everybody, you know where to find her. She is an open book and she is here now and she is here for you. God forbid if you need it in the future. And um, on that note, we are saying goodbye. Have a good, good night, night, everybody. 
to all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grooving brains allow.